Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So this is going to be, at least in my estimation, one of my more important episodes because we're going to cover a pretty serious topic, one that I think is negatively affecting the world that we live in, not just the country, not just uh, a small section of the population, not just an ideology, but I think the entire world, and that is cancel culture. Now, some of you may know what that is. Some of you may be completely unfamiliar. We're going to go into all of that. We're going to give examples so you won't be left in the dark at all. But I think it's important that we talk about this because this is a topic that um, is is very active right now. It it is in the zeitgeist. It's, It's going on as we speak. There's probably someone being canceled while I'm recording this and while you're listening to this. And I think it's important to note that we're we don't want to wield this type of power, you know, like like a child with a gun. We have to be very responsible because canceling people has real world effects and unintended consequences that we have to be very careful with. And hopefully, we are going to explore some of those nuances today and and what's important and and how we can improve this process. Because uh, I think it needs improvement, to be perfectly honest with you. So I'm going to walk a very fine line here because I don't want to get canceled myself. But but I, I can't, you know, one cannot live in fear uh, of these types of what I would say are, are bullies, to be perfectly honest with you. You can't live in fear, and I think it, it is a fair request to ask to discuss these things openly and to have an opinion on them. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, I'm talking with author of Cancel This Book, Dan Kavalik. And we're going to get into the the roots of this, the origins, uh, what's going on, how we can change it, uh, if we can change it, and and, and what's really going on here. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm a little scared. And, um, you know, I'm very cautious about getting into this, but let's do it. Let's dive right in. No fear. We're jumping off the diving board here into the deep end. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, well, first of all, I got to tell you, Dan, I love having another Dan on the show. So that's always great. Because I feel like the two of us can get to the bottom of this. But you know, right off the bat, Dan, I'm going to throw kind of a curveball at you because okay. I want to keep this as apolitical as possible. Um, you know, I know your book is called Cancel This Book, The Progressive Case Against Cancel Culture, and we'll probably flirt with with politics. I don't think there's any way to avoid it. But, you know, I I am, you know, I despise tribalism. You know, I've always been kind of a lone wolf. I know I talked to, uh, you know, an an evolutionary biologist who said tribalism is why human beings are so successful, but it's also why we're so divided. And, you know, I feel like right now we're like bloods in the crypts. You got two political parties dividing our nation up, like carving up, you know, like the drug territories. And so uh, and I think we can really kind of get to this without going too deeply into politics uh, but this is a great topic because I've always been kind of I've been really annoyed with cancel culture, and I can't tell if I'm annoyed with wokeness or cancel culture or which one first. But I think before I go into my grievances here and get your take on it, let's define it. I know you've defined it a million times, but for anyone listening who's not aware of this, let's just define what cancel culture is to give us kind of a baseline. 
Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, a definition would be, I mean, first of all, it can take different forms, but essentially the most common form is um, uh, it's the phenomenon in which people uh, gang up on, on an individual many times on social media, but not necessarily because that individual either recently or long in the past said or did something that was or is deemed to be offensive. It may not even objectively be offensive, and that's important, and we'll get into that. Yeah. The result being that uh, the people doing this canceling or mobbing call for that person to be punished somehow, either to be fired from their job, to lose their status, to lose um, uh, their, uh, their reputation. Um, but I also put into the definition of cancel culture – um, the attempts to to um, ban literature, mm. to ban or to censor certain art, and I discuss mm. that in the book. Right, right. because again, uh, the uh, because the content is seen to be somehow uh, offensive. Usually, it's deemed to be somehow racist or sexist, um, and again, so people attempt to have those things banned or kept from people, like kept from students. And so I see that as part of cancel culture too. So it's this real um, kind of moral um, policing that's being done. And it's being done, you know, it's hard to say who all, who's doing it, who's they, you know? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is, is spontaneous, though there seems to be amongst the people doing it, a certain consensus about what is offensive and not offensive, though there's a lot of debates even within those groups about that, right? So, um, for example, on, 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 the, on transgender issues, even within the transgender community, community, there's huge fights as to what's deemed permissible or offensive, and people are canceled all the time within the transgender community. Uh, for example, I don't know if you saw, I'll just give one example of this. I have a uh, podcast that I've, I've been doing called Voice of the Voiceless. And I had a trans woman on, um, on my show and she talked about the fact that she has been harassed and threatened because she does not believe there is any such thing as a, ma a female penis. Okay. All right. Okay. And she is trans herself. She was a man who became a woman. And she still doesn't think that, um, that there's such thing as a female penis. Now, again, for many of us, that probably isn't much up for debate. Most of us, you know, wouldn't think there is such a thing. But again, this is a huge matter of debate. Um, uh, within the trans community. Um, so again, there are certain, there's a certain consensus amongst those involved in cancellation, but even amongst the cancelers, uh, there can be huge debates about certain norms. Well, I think you, you raised a couple of great points there. And I think some of the stuff that always drives me nuts, first of all, that everyone is kind of making their own decision on what is offensive. And we live in such a, uh, a sensitive, thin-skinned society that everyone thinks everything's offensive. We're canceling comedians whose job it is 
to be offensive. I mean, there's comedians who, they they take shots at everybody, you know? I mean, I've recently discovered, um, uh, what is his name? Anyway, there's a comedian. I'll, 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 I'm sure it'll come up, come to me in a second. But his whole gimmick is sexism. Uh, but that's the joke, right? It's, it's, it's over the top. But there's tons of women in his audience because it's a joke. It's it, people know what they're getting into, and people, ref, people confuse a joke with an attack. And I right. feel like people really are always on the defensive, as if the world is such a dangerous place. And I think to myself, we live in America. There are real places out there with people having their rights violated every single day. Real sexism where, you know, women are basically enslaved for, you know, or a step up from enslavement. Uh, And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's extreme rhetoric on my part. But it's just it blows my mind. And, And, you know, and the other part you mentioned is all of this divide within these communities. Now, I'm going to be the first one to tell you I don't 100% understand all the distinctions in the LGBTQ plus community. However, I respect their decision to divide and define things however they would like to. But people need to understand that just because you in a back room have decided as a group that that's the way to to decipher something, not everyone across America is going to get that information instantaneously. So be understanding that I don't know what a female penis is. I, I've never heard that before. You just brought that to my attention. I, I'm ignorant of that, and but I am not going to get involved in how someone defines it. I don't care. But these are really important things because, and this is why it's annoying to me, is I really feel, I, I'm, I'm on board with the intention. I am not on board with the follow-through with most of this stuff because I think everyone should feel comfortable walking on the street. But I think that most cancel culture, most of the stuff, most stuff I'm going to mention in the examples I give, this feels to me like the work of real cowards, people who hide behind their keyboard, people who are anonymous. You know, I'm going to make obviously the obvious distinction to this is the next evolution of the angry mob, but this is anonymous. This is, you know, this is what the KKK did. They would hide behind sheets and uh, commit these terrible acts and destroy people's lives. And the people who cave to the pressure of this stuff, they're cowards in my eyes as well. I know that's extreme. Those are extreme words. Uh, I'm not asking you to be on board with that, but how do you feel about the people who are doing all of this? Yeah, well, no, I, I it bothers me, and, and I'm bothered by those people. And again, let if I could just give a, a concrete example, because I think it always helps to, to, to talk concretely. Sure. I mean, what, what led me to, to write the book was a real incident that involved a longtime friend of mine here in Pittsburgh, uh, Molly Rush, who's 85 years old. She is a legendary peace activist. She was involved with the Plowshares 8 back in, I believe it was the early 80s, uh, with the Berrigan brothers, and they did this action at a nuclear missile site to protest um, nuclear proliferation. And, And she did this. She was from this very regular work, white working class family she had a husband. She had kids. She didn't even tell them she was going to do this. She left one day, did it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> she, she was imprisoned. She went to. She was in prison for eleven weeks. She was lucky because she could have gotten life in jail uh, because they tampered with you know actual uh, missiles, I guess. Um, she then, amongst other things, she founded. She co-founded the Thomas Merton Center which is over 50 years old. It's one of the oldest peace and justice organizations in America. Right. So this is the backdrop, mm-hmm. okay? Last year, about a year ago to this date, uh, she posted on Facebook a meme 
that said, had a picture of Martin Luther King and it said, never rioted, never looted, change the world. Okay. And immediately people started to attack her on Facebook as a racist and attacked her family as white trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it continued to escalate the attacks. And um, finally, the Thomas Merton Center, the board of the Thomas Merton Center itself, which she helped to co-found, right, 50 years ago, right. put, put out a, a public letter, an open letter saying, because she posted something racist, by the way, they didn't tell people what it was, so they could you couldn't assess right. whether it was truly racist or not. And because she wouldn't apologize, they said, even though she did publicly apologize on Facebook, but I guess it wasn't good enough, they said they were not going to associate with her anymore. And this devastated her, right? She helped found this group. And... This was a very extreme form of cancellation. And, of course, my feeling towards the people that did this was anger, mm-hmm. right? Because, first of all, I think fairly read, the meme is not racist. She was criticizing. This was during the height of the George Floyd protest, and she was criticizing some of what was happening during these protests. There was violence. There was looting. Uh and many times the people being attacked in the looting and the rioting were minority owned businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, drug stores, the people need uh, uh, to get medication, which will never come back to some of these areas, right? Um, there was a, a million dollar center for indigenous people in Minneapolis that was destroyed. Okay, there were some real, I would say misdeeds that were done. That 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 these things attacking these sorts of things is not advancing any any movement, right? In fact, it undermines the movement. Yeah, yeah. And this was, you know, what she was getting to. And so, but for her trouble in expressing this, she literally was canceled. Now, if people truly, and of course, if so, if if someone truly found this meme offensive. Of course, what they could have done is called Molly, right? Or DM'd her and said, Molly, you know, come on. It's not cool. It's offensive. It's insensitive given the times. That's all that had to be done, right? Instead, she was treated like like some white supremacist, right? Well, I want to jump in here really quickly because I was listening to another interview that you did with someone who was clearly on the left side of the spectrum. And what annoyed me about your interview, well, her interview with you, was that you mentioned that, and I've seen the meme, and it doesn't seem particularly racist to me, right? I mean, it, it's, if anything, it's saying Martin Luther King Jr. is the ideal. We should be doing what he did. It seems the opposite of racist to me. And if you're seeing it as racist, there's something wrong with how you are perceiving that, in my opinion. But the, the reason why this I saw this girl defend this uh, when you were talking to her, she said, oh, well, the right has taken a – they've appropriated that picture and they use it for this reason and blah, 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 as if that was justification because someone else used it in a particular way that right. now – because that she now is associated with those people instead of taking these things individually. And now I understand – in our meme-centered culture, that these images do have some cultural uh, history to them. But come on. I mean, that that excuse is exactly the type of stuff that drives me crazy. Because as you said, 
people should get to decide what's racist, you know, mentioned that it wasn't. And if they do, there's no reason to attack someone because how, how, I mean, I think she got death threats. How is that not abusive? Isn't, aren't you just doing the exact same thing you're telling and canceling other people for doing? I I mean, it's, it, the hypocrisy blows my mind. Sorry to go on a rant there, but that particular picture drove me crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I agree with you. It it is hypocrisy. There's layers of hypocrisy here. Um, As you say, uh, first of all, what was done to her was bullying in the name of social justice, okay, which is very offensive to me. By, you know? by a generation that is stopping cyberbullying, and that's been a, a huge point that people are trying to eliminate in schools and everything. I want to keep that in mind as a backdrop right. to this generation. Sorry, go ahead. But, you know, I guess everyone needs someone to kick around, and, and now there's there's a justification for that, right? Yeah. This, this, this is it. But the other hypocrisy, so, you know, I, I, I defended Molly immediately on Facebook and also on email, because there's some emails going back and forth. And, um, you know, I want, the first thing I said is, hey, how do you send a letter out disassociating yourself with someone and not even tell people what, what she was supposed to have done? Mm-hmm. And they yeah. said, well, hey, I, we can't because that's just going to be offensive to people again if we, if we retell what she did. And, of course... This is a, a common trope, you know, mm-hmm. that it's so offensive, we can't repeat it. Meanwhile, one of the main people leading the charge against Molly on Facebook, she said, by the way, just so everyone knows, I have taken a screenshot of, of Molly's post. Uh-huh. She's taken it down. Right, right. I have a screenshot, and she showed the screenshot, so she re-showed the meme. Um so that everyone could remember how terrible Molly Rush is. So it's absurd, right? They, they, they're they not going to post it as a means of letting people, you know, assess what Molly did. That is to say, they're not going to post it to give Molly some sort of due process, mm-hmm. but they're going to post it and save it to be used against her at a further date, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, one other thing in the in uh, in your book, um, not to go too much of a tangent, but you, this is a great example of of a girl who um, I I, th- I may get the details wrong. And I want you to correct me if I do. I'm going to give it to her briefly. But I believe in a post she was maybe quoting a song and said the N word while in a Snapchat. Um, a person who was biracial saw that. Didn't get upset at the time, but specifically held on to that in order to do the most damage and then released it two years later. Uh, four years. Four years. Later. I think three <laughs> to four years. She yeah. was a freshman when she did it. Yeah. He released it when she was a senior. Uh, yeah. And it destroyed her. Yeah. It destroyed her. Yeah. Well, that, and that's in, in, yeah. And I think the University of Tennessee, they pulled her, you know, I think she got accepted. They pulled that. And, and that really, it really bothered me because clearly malicious intent. I mean, this right. was, there's nothing social justice about this. No one is trying to, to, to educate someone. I mean, this, it was, and the fact that he was so, uh, I mean, he was emboldened by it and would do it again and proud of it. I mean, this is, that was a perfect example. Now I am in no way defending what she said, but I will say that I grew up during the, uh, in, during the nineties, um, gangster rap era, which I loved. And I'm going to tell you, I know all the words to the songs and don't put it in your song if you don't want people to sing along, you know, and I'm not, so I'm not defending what she said, nor am I defending, you know, 
the songs at all. But what I'm saying is it's that malicious intent that could have, this could have easily turned into a corrective conversation about, hey, maybe we shouldn't use these words at all, whether you're appropriating them or not. Maybe we should remove these negative words from from the conversation and make everyone feel comfortable instead of let's ruin this person's life to make an example of everyone else out there. It's those types of things. And these are extreme cases, you know. I mean, there there's it gets sillier, but this is the stuff that, that right. kind of angers me. But I want to move into... A, a, a real comparison here that I think you've you've mentioned and other people have mentioned, but I think it bears repeating because I think it's a very strong, and that is this to me just feels like the natural evolution of the angry mob. I don't know what's different between different between what's going on now versus the people that stormed Frankenstein's castle. You know, between the the people you know who who would go on witch hunts. Um, you know, I've just recently done stories on 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 lynchings. Right? What's the what's the difference? These are mobs of people enacting justice that they don't feel that society has done. Um, th- this is dangerous, and this this is clearly a new age, new new old McCarthyism. I don't know why we're not learning from our past mistakes. Uh, I know it's been done before, but but tell me what you think about that um, as an evolution of our society. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I wouldn't call it an evolution. What I would call it is it's a repeat. It's a repeat of old habits in this country. Again, dating back to the Salem witch trials, dating back to McCarthyism, as you mentioned. Um, again, there's many historical precedents for this type of mob. And you're right. It has all the feelings of people getting out their pitchforks and torches to go after somebody. But now it's made easy. They don't have to do that. They don't have to go to the barn and get those supplies. They can do it from their bedroom, stay in their their bed, in their fuzzy slippers. And at their computer, they can do what people used to do with their pitchforks and their torches. This is, this is as, Old and American is apple pie, yeah. dressed up as social justice. This is nothing but, uh, as you say, mob rule. Mm-hmm. And but un- and, and all mob rule, of course, points to some righteous cause, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Killing witches is good because we don't witches are evil. They 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 associate with the devil, mm-hmm. and we like God, right? Yeah. McCarthyism is good because. Communists are bad. We got to root them out. There's always an evil that an alleged evil that is being rooted out. In the '80s, it was satanic pedophiles, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. that were being conjured up, great example, uh, and and destroyed. And so this is really, yeah, this is just a repeat of that, and and it looks nearly the same. It has a different justification now. It's social justice that's being used again. I think. Uh, uh, and it upsets me because I believe in social justice, but social justice is being used as a justification for, again, an old-timey uh, mob mm-hmm. um, assault on someone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and I think people should, as you say, if you looked at history, that's what you would see it for, and you'd be ashamed by it because these periods come and then they go, and the people who led the charges, like Joe McCarthy, for example, end their careers in shame because finally someone says, what you're doing was wrong. And this happens all the time. No one thinks that the witch trials should happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that this period will pass and people will be like, wow, 
that was pretty bad when it happened. Yeah. And, and then they'll say that until the next witch. But yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, yeah, I agree. Here, here's an interesting quote. So um, I don't I, I've just recently stumbled onto Bill Maher and he's, you know, again, kissing, uh, you know, flirting with with politics here. But he had this right after in November 13th on his on his show. He had this this great rant at the end of his show. And he made a couple of very interesting points where he said, you know, progressives are the party of chasing speakers off college campuses, making everyone walk on eggshells, changing let's not see color to let's see color always and everywhere, formerly the position of the KKK. I mean, th there's a real insight into that where people are forgetting that instead of you know, it's like a rising, you know, rising tide raises all boats, right? Instead of like, let's raise everyone up and, and understand the problems here. It's you, you group, group X are the bad group and we must get rid of you and purge you out and, and purge you from the society so that everyone else can finally get their chance. And it's, it's just, it's, it's this very, um, you know, primal, primal mentality that you must kill someone else in order for you to survive. And I don't think that that's necessary. And I know that sounds like an extreme example, but this is what it feels like to me. And some of the stuff, you know, we're talking about some pretty serious stuff here, but I mean, there are some really silly moments and I'm going to tell you one silly moment. So when I was, re when I was re researching this, some of these examples, I apologize to the audience if they're, uh, you know, a couple weeks out of date, but there was this, there was an SNL sketch a couple weeks ago by um, a black comedian named Michael Che. And he wrote, a, he wrote a, a sketch about Gen Z kids using slang in a hospital. So the joke of the script is you got these, you know, you got these, you know, young middle class kids going into a school using um, sayings that make no sense to the older people that are there. Right. And it's a mix. It's not all white, but there's like, I think there's like three white, um, you know, cast members. And it's, it, but there's, it's, it's, it's a diverse group. The joke is on millennials. The joke is on a younger generation. The joke is not, it's not a racial joke. Right. And so um, he admits it's a terrible sketch. Sketch. He immediately is called out on social media um, when he was accused of cultural appropriation for using street slang, and he said that he was using AAVE, okay? So most people don't even know what that means. I don't know what that is. Okay, so his response was hilarious. So he said... Uh, so he's, this is his quote. He said, I've been reading about how my Gen Z sketch was a misappropriation of AAVE, he began. And I was stunned because what the F is AAVE? I had to look it out. Look it up. Turns out it's an acronym for African American Vernacular English. You know, AAVE, that old saying that actual black people use in conversation all the time. What a great response because I just want to recap. He was a, he, he's African American making fun of Gen Zers by, by using slang that only young people understand. That's the joke, right? How can you possibly cancel an African-American for using African-American <laughs> vernacular English that he didn't even know about? This is how silly it's getting. Um, yeah. that, that, would just, that stood out to me as just being a dumb example of what's going on. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. Uh, and the whole cultural appropriation trope itself, I mean, we can start in many places, but it's just incredible because look, there is such thing as cultural appropriation. When I think cultural appropriation is when the British, you know, they their museum is nothing but African art that they stole from people. That's 100%, appropriation. 100%. That, stealing people's artifacts is cultural appropriation. Or Egyptian or, art or anything. I mean, it's all, yeah, yeah. same thing, I guess, really. Or claiming yeah. that you invented something that you didn't invent. That is cultural appropriation and not giving attribution. Mm -hmm. 
for example, I would say Picasso did engage in some of that. I, I guess some of his cubism he clearly stole from Congolese artists. Never said he did. In any case, well, he just got canceled for being um, a, a feminist or being uh, misogynistic. A yeah, 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 a second ago. Or, you know, that was on. Its, yeah, that was inevitable. <laughs> um, but what is not cultural appropriation is, for example, well, I'll give a great example: wearing the Palestinian keffiyeh, which I do all the time to show solidarity with Palestinians. Palestinians love that, by the way. They love if you wear the kaffee. They don't think you're like stealing from them. Um, but now, yeah, everything people do um, is considered, in fact, some people claim if you try to learn a little another language, that's cultural appropriation. If I try to learn Spanish, I'm stealing their language. This is so unbelievable. Right? That's, that is so Because if I eat pizza, am I appropriating from the Italians or, or from the Chinese? Because some people say the Chinese invented yeah. pizza. But, you know, I assume pants were invented by someone. I guess wearing pants <laughs> is cultural. Everything's, yeah, you know. unbelievable. Uh, it's just silliness. And and it, it, it's this hyper-moralism that's being applied um, to people. And, and I, I want to go back to the Bill Maher quote you gave, because I actually think it's a good quote. I believe that a lot of this is making people more racist, not less racist. Yeah, I agree. And made, making people afraid to talk to people from other cultures, other races, for fear of making a mistake. Yep. The whole thing we should be doing is encouraging people to learn about other cultures, to learn about other races, to talk to people of other races, to be friends with people of other races, not to fear that every time you have a question or an observation about someone from a different walk of life that you're going to be attacked. Mm -hmm. What you're going to do naturally, people are going to do, they're going to withdraw within their own circles, right? Where they're going to feel comfortable and talk to only people that agree with them. And so it is not going to result in a more harmo racially harmonious society. Uh, you know, my friend, and I can't quote, I can't say who he is because he, he would kill me for, for quoting him, but my buddy, uh, he's... <laughs> It's one of one of the few Jewish families in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he always oh, wow. says to me, "Yeah, he says Dan, he says if you scratch race, you get racism," and I, I think that that's essentially what Bill Maher's saying, and yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think this is really you know, a weaponized idealism kind of gone wrong. You know, it's just making examples out of people in a public square, sticking them in the uh, the stocks, you know, and and. I, I'll be honest with you. There are some times where I can't tell if people are trying to do good and warping the process or if there's malicious intent and people taking advantage of the current political and socio climate, uh, social climate in order to better themselves or to take advantage of what's going on. I can't tell the difference. And I'm not sure that everyone is has the mo the purest of intentions, you know? I mean, for example, and this, you know, this is one, because I think common sense is lacking in a lot of this, okay? And you, you mentioned the trans community. And there's this whole strange thing going on where you've got, you've got, um, you know, men who transition into women, into women and become women. And then they want to professionally pursue sports, right? Common sense says that, what, however you feel inside, whatever the description is, physically, 
they're still men are larger, stronger. This is this is a biological fact, and it is completely unfair for someone who professionally pursued sports as a man, transitioned into a female, and then professionally pursued sports as a female. This is, I mean, this seems like common sense to me. I, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to it, but for people to get upset when you bring this up and say, hey, this piece of common sense, we should maybe adjust this a bit and saying you're transphobic. What, what do you, hold on, ease up on the gas, guy. Like pump the brakes. What do you mean I'm transphobic? It's common sense. These types of things happen all the time and are going on right now. And instead of reasoned intellectual debate, it's it's automatically you've attacked me. I'm attacking back. Uh, let's let's one of us only one of us can survive. You know, it's crazy. Right. You know. Yeah. No. And I agree with you. And I I think I think for me what what's important. I agree with you. I don't know what the answer is, but what I do know is we are now being presented with a fairly new situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And. Let us discuss what makes sense here. There is room for discussion and debate, but those who would cancel over these things will not allow there to be discussion or debate. And then you have someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who, by the way, in a former life, won the freaking decathlon. I know, right, yeah. Right? Yeah. Who also says trans women should not participate in women's sports. Who knows better, and, by the way. Right. And Caitlyn is attacked for this is transphobic and she's a trans woman. And I know many trans women who believe this. I know many women who believe this. I know many women who think that some of this trans uh, dogma uh, is, is harmful towards women, that women deserve to have their own spaces, have their own bathrooms, have their own domestic violence centers, mm -hmm. have their own prisons, right? And that pushing biological men into these spaces carries with it some risks. Mm -hmm. I think saying that and acknowledging that is completely fair. I agree with and you. And then let's then let's discuss what we're going to do because the what you have, okay. And I'm a lawyer by trade, okay. Mm -hmm. And what I learned. In, in in law school is is the idea that you have competing rights. Yeah, okay. I mm -hmm. have rights, you have rights. Sometimes my exercise of my rights interferes with the exercise of your rights. When that happens, we have to decide how that's going to be figured out, right. how that's going to be balanced. Right. Yep. So there is a balancing of rights that has to happen here. To me, it's, there's no easy solution. And I don't think I'm transphobic for saying that. And I don't think women who say that are transphobic for saying that. We have to be able to talk about these things, to debate these things, so that we can come out with a rational, uh, uh, you know, policies that protect everyone's rights. I want everyone's rights to be protected. I want women's rights to be protected. I want transgender rights to be protected. But we have to talk about how we're going to do that, right? No, and I think I think it's a great point because I like that – when it's messy and it's confusing, you're kind of on the right path because that is when you've now laid everything on the table and you're like, man, this is really confusing. We're going to have to put in some work to figure this out. And that's hard. That's difficult. That's why when you have elected officials, you got to get the right person in there um, because it's it's an easy job to screw up and a hard job to get right. And I think if you if, – if it is a mess – 
okay, well, that's a great starting point. You can't have it be where only one group who happen, and maybe this, you know, it's usually a group that has been, you know, historically uh, oppressed, maybe, maybe that's a strong word, but historically um, their rights haven't, have, they hasn't taken precedence over other people's rights. And I can understand the anger that, that comes with that and the need to like, hey, it's my turn now. You know, and I get that, and that's totally understandable. But that that should just be used as a as a way to get the conversation on the table, so that we can now take everyone's everyone's opinion into 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 play and figure out what's going on. That feels like a democracy to me. Uh, cancel culture feels like an authoritarian government, and and who's deciding? And who's deciding this stuff? Who's deciding? And again, even we have to acknowledge that even within the trans community, there's debates about this. right. Yeah. There are trans women who are very vocal about the fact they believe that trans women are not really women and shouldn't play women's sports Mm -hmm. and shouldn't be in women's spaces. These are trans women who say this. And they are oftentimes mobbed for being transphobic, even though they're transgender, right? So it's cannibalistic, by the way, Dan. That's totally cannibalistic. And so, as you say, who decides these things? There's a lot of room for discussion here, again, because we are – this is a a new thing for most people, and people need to be allowed to say, oh, you know, I have a question. I don't know. Of course people should be allowed to do that, but now you can't even ask the questions, Mm -hmm. and that bothers me. It it does bother me, Um, and again, I don't think that, that, that inspires people to be more accepting of others, to be more tolerant. I think it gets people's backs up. Yeah. And it, and it raises the temperature and it raises ire against others in a way that doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. You know, if we just let people air their own concerns and, and questions. Yeah, I, I know. And that's a great segue into something that I, I what I loved in your book was this comparison to um, to religion. And I think that there is there, there are a lot of parallels between this movement and and religion, and I think you outlined them really well, and part of it is moral superiority and a need to convert people to your beliefs as if your beliefs are the end-all, be-all, and I don't think that that's, I I don't know, I've always had issues with dogmatic religions in general for those reasons, because there's always an in-group and an out-group, and rarely even the ones that are, oh, we accept everyone, you don't really, um, you know, and I feel like this movement feels like that. It feels like you have to, you have to adhere to a specific moral and or ideological, let's say, an ideological uh, dogma that is just not sustainable for human beings because we are flawed and we make right. mistakes. And you're pulling people. You know, I think, you know, again, Bill Maher mentions in that rant, he mentions this, um, a hockey player who was, I don't remember what the repercussions were. He was canceled in some form. I don't know if he was released from a team. He's a professional hockey player who, who it came up that in eighth grade, he bullied a disabled kid, right? Now, I'm not saying that's okay. That's ridiculous. But he, eighth grade, what, what are you, thir- you're 13 years old? I mean, we're still developing. We don't know what's going on. I mean, could you imagine what the world would be like if every single person was judged on things they did in middle school? Like, are you kidding me? Right. Uh, I, I don't know. This is crazy. But I, I want to know more about this this religious thing. Can you can you kind of outline this for me? And Yeah, well, it is religious in the ways you're saying. So it's religious in that you have a certain dogma, okay, that everyone has to conform to. 
And by the way, you have to conform to it 100%. It's not good enough that you're with me 99% of the way. Right. You have to be 100%, right? And if you deviate from that dogma or the religion in this case, let's just call it the the woke religion. Yeah, okay, all right. Right, yeah. then you are um, you are called out, as you might be in a, in a, in a church, particularly in a revival yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. setting. Yeah. You are um, asked to publicly apologize. You are asked to atone. Uh, all these things are part of, of this woke religion. But here's how the, this woke religion is different than, than every other religion that I've ever known. At the revival meeting where you are called out for your sins, you are offered redemption. Mm -hmm. You are offered forgiveness. In this woke religion, you really aren't offered forgiveness or redemption. There ain't no heaven waiting for right. you. You are condemned. You are shunned for your first mistake. Yeah. Right? No matter what had happened in your life from right. three years old you, on. <laughs> yeah, you might yeah. have been right. Again, this Molly Rush uh, is a great example. She's like the nicest person you'd ever it's meet. It's unbelievable. Right? That's She's given her life to the Peace and Justice Group. She makes one perceived mistake. She's out. Yeah, that's it. She's shunned. There's no religion in the world that does this. None. Mm -hmm. Right? The whole point of religion is to say we are flawed. Right? Most religions have a notion of sin, sometimes original sin, or even flawed from birth. But there's a way, there's a path that I can show you towards redemption, where it's right here. You just need to follow it. People like that because they want redemption, they want forgiveness. This woke religion has no path towards that. Right. Yeah. You are shunned, you're out, and next. You know, that that's and that's what's very troubling. But also, like other religions, there's no room for question. You know, mm -hmm. that that yeah. that is typical of other religions. Right. So, like, you know, if I'm Catholic, I was raised Catholic. So if I say, well, God, I don't know, the Holy Trinity, you got three persons in one and transubstantiation. This bread has now actually become the body of Christ. I don't know. I, 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 I I'm troubled by this. I have questions. You're told you know what? It's beyond your comprehension. Mm. Don't ask questions. You just have to believe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's true with this woke religion too. Don't ask questions. Okay. It, it, because a lot of what we're telling you has no rational or factual basis anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is religious. Yeah. And so just, just accept it. Just accept it. Be quiet and, and come along with us. And, and that's it. Right. Um, and again, it's a very intolerant religion, and 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 it's very troubling to me. Um, and and the problem is that the high priests of that religion, of this woke religion, don't see themselves as religious, right? And so, it's very hard to cure this because I don't think they're self-aware about really what they're what they're doing. Yeah, well, you know, and it's it's interesting because the. the the religious parallel was just fascinating to me. I really it resonated with me because again, I was raised Catholic as well, and I was always amazed. You know, I was <laughs> I asked a lot of questions as a kid, and I was always impressed. Priests always always had an answer, even if it you know not not it wasn't always this is too you know this is beyond your comprehension. Sometimes it was, but sometimes they had you know an, an answer, and I was like, oh wow, they have an answer for everything. 
and the idea is you can ask questions, you know, and questions aren't just discouraged. They're, they're, uh, you know, forbidden in, in this woke religion in a way. And, and right. two things came to mind immediately when it came to religion. And that is the first is, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. This is, I mean, there's no better advice, I think, in the Bible, um, because that, it, it doesn't, you don't need to be religious to understand that. That, if you don't, you shouldn't judge people when you can yourself be judged for whatever. You may be judging someone on, on, on that Martin Luther King meme or whatever, but I'm guessing if you're on social media that much, you probably made a social media faux pas within your past as well, and maybe you don't want that brought to light or being doxxed in the, you know, in the worst case scenarios where people go and find your personal information and act as if they are allowed to decide when and what you can keep private and then release your public information to the world so that any psychopath can come, come to your house um, because of this mis- this misgiving that you you know that's happened, um, but also another great story is you know with Jesus and the prostitute. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Very similar, uh, a very similar message. But you know before you start attacking other people um, for for a, a for a transgression, think of how many transgressions that people could be throwing stones at you for. And these are very important messages that are completely lost on a group of people who are claiming moral uh, superiority. It's crazy to me. Yeah. And again, what, 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 what the good part of, of a good religion is that they offer redemption to sinners, right? Well, the famous, most famous, I just got back, by the way, this week from Damascus, Syria. I literally got back from Damascus. Oh, wow. And, And I actually got there uh, we took the road to Damascus, okay, from <laughs> from Beirut. We had to. You went Old Testament, place. yeah. <laughs> I went Old Testament, and as you know, there was a guy named Saul mm-hmm. who persecuted Christians, and he took the road to to Damascus. Though he went from Jerusalem to to Damascus, and on the way, he got struck by a bolt of lightning, and he converted, and he became the defender of Christians. Right? He became Saint Paul. He went from Saul to being Paul, St. Paul, and he helped found the Roman Catholic Church. And so this is in the Bible. And, and what this, why this is stories in the Bible is to say this can happen to you. Right. If you are Saul, you can become Paul. And if you become Paul, by the way, we're going to forgive you for everything you did mm-hmm. when you were Saul, right? Because now you've, you've redeemed yourself. But again, in this woke religion, Paul is always Saul. Right. Because we're going to look back now and see when you're in eighth grade, as you say, and you were still Saul, you were racist. Okay, even though now you you've read a lot and you've done a lot and you now you life experiences, by the way. Yeah. I mean, anything. You're a different person now. I mean, you might be working for the ACLU or the (laughs) NAACP. Right. But because back in eighth grade, you were a bad guy. You were stupid. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to condemn you. This is not sensible. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not. It does not meet with any uh, uh, criteria for a good belief system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That that most of us would want to be a part of. I mean, again, that is a religion I don't want to be a part of. In fact, yeah, I want forgiveness, and and I want to forgive others too. You know, I mean, like I don't want to hold grudges either. I mean, as you say, there's there's a two way street to all this, but to me, this this wokeness is all about just judging. Well, and an interesting point you mentioned, you know, is, in the book is canceling people forecloses all chance at personal evolution. And you bring two great examples that I'd never heard before. Uh, but it's Robert Byrd and Hugo Black. 
Um, and you know, I I, I want to get this right, but I believe Hugo Black was uh, he was a KKK member and a, segre mm -hmm. a segregationist senator. Um, and he, right. over the course of his political career, changed to a champion of civil rights. And, you know, was even had the, uh, you know, the, the ta tagline's a bad word, but the, uh, you know, the log line that Hugo went from wearing white robes and scaring black people to wearing a black robe and scaring white people as a member of the Supreme Court. That, I mean, it's those types of revolutionary changes. I mean, could you imagine that, I mean, that would not happen nowadays. You would not have someone who, who would even be allowed to be said, hey, you know, be told, hey, you made this mistake. Um, recognize it and maybe change what you're doing. Instead of having a revolutionary, life-changing moment, you're just having, for, for good, you're giving someone a revolutionary, life-changing moment for bad because if you shun someone and you eliminate any chance at redemption, what do you have left? You know, Molly Rush, you know, is older. The chances of, of her becoming radicalized, let's say, are probably pretty limited. But that could happen to people. It could happen to groups. And it also forces you to want to become radicalized because you mentioned in, in another interview that you do – there are biological reactions to this. You get a dopamine rush. You get patted on the back. You get congratulated for this. These are the types of things that build strange connections in your brain, which then cause it to change differently because of neuroplasticity. Your brain's always changing and adapting. And as you get dopamine, as you get um, pat on the back, as you get congratulated for this stuff, it makes you want to do it more. And now you're just perpetuating the cycle uh, and creating more bad things in the world. You're actually creating more negativity in the world than positivity. And I, I'm not sure people quite understand that. They think we were crazy if we told them that. No, it's exactly true. And again, I, I, I think the Hugo Black example is incredible. Like I, when you were telling the story, which I've heard a, a bunch of times, I still... I get I get goosebumps, right? The idea that a Klansman could then be, be, be part of the majority decision in Brown versus yep. Board of Education. Exactly. This should be what we all aspire to. We should inspire. We we should aspire to inspire that sort of ability to change, to grow. We should want that from ourselves, and we should want that from others, and we should encourage it, and we should. Uh, um, congratulate people who are able to do that instead of saying you were this and you must always be that that isn't being human right it, it, we are able to change and we have to embrace change and and again i think that this cancel culture prevents that yeah and does not allow for it and and that is a big failing of it yeah, and I think, you know, and I think another thing that we didn't quite get to, but I think also bears uh, mentioning is that not only, you know, are artists canceled as people, but sometimes they're canceled as artists as well. You know, I mean, um, you know, we mentioned Pablo Picasso, uh, you know, other interviews I've heard you, you know, Dr. Seuss was recently canceled, Mark Twain, you know, um, we start, not only are we taking people out of context in the, in their own lives, which is, you know, maybe, maybe 50, 60 years or whatever. Now you're taking someone like Mark Twain and you're saying, okay, well, in the 1880s, it was a very different, very different world. We're 20 years out from the Civil War. The world's just different. Things that were acceptable then, of course, wouldn't be acceptable now because we're progressed. But you cannot start judging people from. I mean, this is something I learned in documentary in my documentary classes in undergrad. Is you can't start using modern eyes to start judging people from the past 100 years ago. I mean, over 100, you know, 140 years ago. I mean, it, it defies common sense, but this is what's happening all the time. You know, for example, like I, I really enjoy H.P. Lovecraft books and I enjoy his stories and I enjoy things that are made on his mythos. 
But I, I, I'm aware that he was a xenophobe and a racist, and all of that inspired a lot of his writings. I, I don't. I'm not particularly into H.P. Lovecraft, the man. I don't really care about him as a person, um, but I enjoy his stories. You know, someone made this great quote that you play the ball, not the man, right? You, if if right. you're, you know, you're you're talking about the things, not the person. Um, but you know, this Dr. Seuss stuff really, really kind of shocked me. Um, and I got to mention, you mentioned he, they canceled six books no one's ever heard of. I got to take issue with you, sir. To think that I okay. saw it on Mulberry Street was my favorite book. Uh, oh, <laughs> I still have a copy of it. I mean, thank God I have it now. Um, but you know, yeah, hide it. You better put it on your I, I know it's crazy, but you know, and I think I think one thing that people are forgetting, and 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 I don't mean to sound ignorant here, but when you are in entertainment, when you're writing books and you're writing stories, you, the nuances of a person are hard to capture, especially with a culture and cartoons, comics, going all the way back. It's easier to create a stereotype. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right, and I'm not saying it's okay. But this was this is an easy way to convey certain things, right? To, to convey a person is from a certain place. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that it deserves to be canceled. It deserves to be re-looked at and, re, and reconsidered. But to just say, oh, Dr. Seuss, we're done with you, crazy to me. Yeah, well, and also, and again, there's a lot of things to unpack here, but I think most of us have realized, uh, and, and there, there's much discussion, I mean, books have been written on this, that, that our transcends the artist, right? And that a very flawed person can create beautiful art. Mm -hmm. And we admire the art, even if we don't like the artist or things he did or she did, right? Um, and in fact, that's, again, something that is incredible about humans, that they can be very flawed, and yet they can create great art, and we should welcome that. And again, doesn't mean we have to cancel the art because... We don't like the artist. We don't cancel the song because we don't like the singer. Right. I mean, this this is for a long time. People have understood this. And again, in fact, to me, it makes the art even more something to celebrate because this person who did these bad things was able to create something beautiful. To me, it shows what potential humans have. And we should not just relegate the art of, of a bad artist to to the to the ash bed. You know, that is that isn't what we should be about. No, that's that is true. But let, let me give you an example, because that's just reminding me of something that I think might be an interesting conversation. So I grew up loving Michael Jackson songs. I, I mean, I, I yeah. love I love Michael. Me Jackson. Too. Yeah, I mean, I love Michael Jackson. I saw him in concert. Get out of here. Did you? I saw him at Comiskey Park. Oh, with the I'm from Michael Chicago. Jackson. Triumph. Oh, tour. that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm from Chicago. I'm, I'm jealous of that. That would have been great to see. Um, but I got to admit, you know, I saw the documentary. Um, it's hard to it's hard to look away from some of these claims about um, child, you know, pedophilia and sexual abuse. It's hard to look away from that. And it's hard for me as a singular person to say, I don't know if I, his music feels different to me. Uh, yeah. But that's to me. To me, and I'm allowed to make that decision for myself. That's right. I don't. I'm not right. saying Michael Jackson should never be on the airwaves ever again. Right. Um, but you know, but I'm, a, and I think people confuse that. People confuse the 
so if I was a part of the woke culture, it'd be like, well, he's a pedophile. We need to get rid of Michael Jackson. We need to burn him from the history books. And it's like, well, no, maybe not. I don't, I'm not this feel, I don't feel the same about it anymore, but you should make your own decision. But you know, here's my opinion. And you can be, you can say what your opinion is, but it's this, it's this ultimate, like my, what I say goes, it's like, well, why does what you say go? You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's like the, the, the mom, uh, oh, because I said so kind of a deal, you know? Right. And, and Michael Jackson's a great example. Um, and by the way, a lot of people have, have, I think, fairly successfully debunked that documentary. There's a lot of holes in that. So, I mean, the other point is, I don't know if Michael Jackson did all the things people said. So, but, but you're right. I mean, I think every individual has to decide what the tipping point is for that. Sure. Uh, um, and you're right. Even I, to this day, am like, for me, the bloom is off the rose a little for Michael Jackson, but it, I would never say that people shouldn't listen or shouldn't be on the airwaves. But how about this example? I mean, Martin Luther King was a known philanderer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even claims that he sexually assaulted women. You know, oh, wow. I'm not willing to give up Martin Luther King for the great things he did, right? Yeah. He still did amazing things, and I will always honor him for that. Um, but again, he was flawed. As, as most people are, that's the other thing. Now, again, I think there's kind of a tipping point for people. Like, how bad do you have to be? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Before we turn our back on you. Um, but again, I think in the end, that's up to the individual to decide that. And and I don't want to see, um, you know, people burning, um, you know, the Thriller album or, or preventing <laughs> me from listening to it. So. Right, yeah. Well, no, that that's true. I mean, and that's fair. And again, it's, you know, it's... There, there are two sides to every story. And, and I, yeah, I wanted to mention this up at the top. Like, I'm a two sides to every story kind of guy. And I've learned that throughout my life and mistakes I've made and I've heard how people have described what I've done. And I've been like, well, that's not at all what happened, right? And so when you have that experience, you realize, well, there's always two sides to every story. And this culture takes that away. It's there's one side and it's my side. And so well, what's my side? You know, it's it, it's what what is your side and how did you come to it? And how did all these other people that are just listening to what you singularly said? And then I'm jumping on to that. Um, it's it's just it's bizarre, the hypocrisy of it. But I got to ask you, I mean, you're not going to have an answer to this, but I'm curious what you think. If you've looked at the trajectory, I'm sure you've looked at the history of this. You've seen these other, you know, other examples throughout history. Where do you see this going? Do you see it ending? Do you see a tipping point? I mean, McCarthyism famously, you know, was confronted by a senator who said, you know, have you no decency, sir? Um, which was at that time, that was a big slap in the face. That was what did the five fingers say to the face at the time. Um, but where do you see this ending? Do you see it ending? Um, wh- wh- where, do you, where do you see this going? What's the conclusion? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it will not end as easily as something like McCarthyism or even the witch trials because those were very well organized uh, by groups, you know, certain, oh, right. you know, kind of a distinct groups of individuals. Again, McCarthyism, the best one, it's even named after Joe right. McCarthy. Yeah. There was really a couple people, him, him and Roy Cohn, that were pushing this, yeah. right? They had supporters, but once you not, once you were able to confront him and knock him off, that was it, right? This is such a an unorganized movement, right? There's a spontaneity to all this. There isn't, you know, one or two or a handful of people leading this. It is a real mob kind of thing. And so I think when you have that kind of amorphous movement, it's going to be harder to, to end it. 
um, because it has a logic of its own and, a, and, a, and an inertia of its own. I think, though, that I hope, at least, it will burn itself out, that at some point people are going to be like, you know, I'm just tired of doing this. I'm tired of seeing this be done to people. Um, and, and people move on to something else. I, I hope that. Um, but but part, I have a sense that this may take a while. This is going to last a while before it burns out. That That's my feeling. Okay. Well, that's depressing, but I think you're right. And I, I think you, for the, all the reasons that you said, well, I mean, it's an ongoing debate. I'm sure, you know, I have a million examples in this that we didn't get to. They show up every day. Uh, it's, you know, just yesterday, I think I wrote down two. Um, it's crazy. It's definitely gaining steam. But um, where can people find you if they want to carry on this conversation with you, where your books, uh, social media, all that? Well, thank you, first of all, Dan, uh, for for having me on the show and for asking me that. So I'm on Twitter at Daniel M. Kavalik. Uh, they can find my bus- books at skyhorsepublishing.com. The most relevant book is my newest one, Cancel This Book, uh, The Progressive Case Against Cancel Culture. Um, those are probably the best uh, places to find me. Okay, so just um, just Twitter. You say Twitter and Facebook. I am on Facebook as well uh, at Dan Kavalik. Yes. Okay. Same thing. And I'll put I'll have all those links to that on the website. Um, so this is yeah a great conversation. I feel like I probably ranted more in this one than I've ever done in any other episode, but uh, I had to get it out, Dan. Uh, but you know, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Dan, it was my pleasure. Till next time. Yeah, definitely. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you like this show, you got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you're already there, Take a second to rate and review us. It really helps the show for everyone to listen to your opinion about what you love about it. And if you're not already subscribed to a podcasting platform, don't worry. We got you covered. Go to fascinatingnouns.com for all your fascinating nouns needs. We got links to each podcast platform at the bottom of the page. Right next to that, links to our social media. You can find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages all right there, bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. And if you go to the top, you can check out our other episodes organized by episode number or by guest name and you can click on those and find links that we talked about images videos all sorts of supplemental material right there fascinatingnouns.com and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening end of transmission